Welcome to episode four of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. There is more knowledge here than anywhere else in the galaxy. Only members of the Jedi Council are allowed access. Guarding the holocrons is one of the most important duties a Jedi can be given. Do you think you're up to the task? Episode 4 of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. I'm Rob, your host, and I'm going to be flying solo this week as Tom is off enjoying some time with his lovely wife, Michelle. We're recording on Monday, April 1st, 2019. For those of you who have uh, taken the time to reach out and give us feedback on the show, I want to start off by thanking you very much. That information is important to us, and it's also what kind of helps us grow and keeps this podcast fresh and new. So we very much appreciate you reaching out to us with that information. Uh, For this week's show, uh, we are going to focus on a topic that uh, surprisingly, maybe for some of you, does not relate to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. So without uh, further ado, we're going to go ahead and dive right into the Jedi Temple archives and learn a little bit more about lightsabers. So lightsabers are something that as Star Wars fans, uh, most of us are very familiar with. Uh, I know that for me personally, the lightsabers were one of the things that really uh, fascinated me when I first saw the films. And even to this day, I know that we mentioned it in a previous show, uh, but Tom and I both have lightsabers of our own that we have collected. Um, My son has also taken on that tradition. So uh, the occasional lightsaber duel in our household is, is not unheard of. But lightsabers, while familiar to many fans, uh, there's still a lot of information about them that is not commonly known by fans of the trilogy, um, or fans of the series, I should say. Um, So when we think of lightsabers, typically what we're thinking about are the weapons that are used primarily by Jedi, although the Sith are also uh, proficient with them. But uh, what some people don't know is that uh, apart from those two, the lightsaber is not restricted only to the Jedi and the Sith. It can be used by really any Force-sensitive. Now, of course, the first thing most people are going to say when I make a comment like that is, what are you talking about? Uh, we've all seen Han Solo take up Luke's lightsaber and use that to cut open the Tauntaun to keep Luke warm on Hoth after he'd escaped the uh, Wampus Cave. But what I'm talking about specifically is it is only safe to be used uh, in combat by a Force-sensitive primarily because the control of the weapon is really necessary. If you have a non-force sensitive using the weapon and uh, they were to touch any part of their body with it, obviously there's going to be a a pretty serious injury inflicted. Now, in regards to the lightsaber itself, what exactly are the components that make up a lightsaber? You've got the hilt, which is the hand grip that uh, the Jedi or the Sith would hold in their hand and that the blade would come out of. And that is going to be, uh, that's going to consist of a casing, uh, which usually is going to have some sort of uh, tactile or grip uh, component to it. 
as well as uh, the electronics that are packed within it. So that's going to include your power source, uh, your emitter matrix, your blade emitter shroud, of course, your kyber crystal, which is going to be essentially what focuses that energy and amplifies its intensity, and then the activator switch, which is going to turn the lightsaber on and off. In addition, the plasma blade that the lightsaber uh, actually produces, and that is a bit of a misconception. I know it's typically referred to as, as a laser blade, uh, but it actually is a plasma blade, which is capable of cutting through almost any material. There will be some exceptions to that, and we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. Uh, and then the other thing of note with the lightsaber blade is that when it is used to actually cut into a human or any alien, what that blade does is it cauterizes the wound as it creates the cut. So when you look at a situation like Luke having his hand taken off in Empire Strikes Back, uh, or the same thing happening to Anakin in Attack of the Clones, those wounds are cauterized. Uh, the people who have had those wounds inflicted on them aren't going to bleed out typically. So with all of those components, the creation of the lightsaber itself was a very delicate and dangerous task. Uh, for instance, if that emitter matrix that I mentioned earlier happened to be accidentally inverted um, when they were installed, when the Jedi or the Sith was installing it into the hilt, then powering on the weapon would actually cause it to backfire. And uh, short term, that would cause the weapon to short out. But if the weapon was left powered on, it could eventually cause it to explode and kill anyone that was in the vicinity when that occurred. Now, the component that we mentioned earlier, the kyber crystal, um, that is something that I know I get some questions on here and there. Uh, even though it was covered within the framework of Rogue One, um, it wasn't really fully explained how those work or how those quote-unquote power the Jedi's weapons. So the kyber crystal itself is comprised of both organic and inorganic materials. You'll think of the quote from Chirrut Imwe in Rogue One where he stated that the strongest stars have hearts of kyber. Um, that is because these crystals were stable at the temperatures and pressures that were found in the cores of large stars. Uh, which both made them impervious to fire as well as highly resistant to any kind of impact. Um, they were really nearly indestructible. And it also meant that they were sturdy enough to survive the violent explosion that occurred within a lightsaber's power grid. So there was multiple reasons why they were perfect for uh, the Jedi to use for their lightsabers. Additionally, as we mentioned earlier, uh, because they have the ability to take relatively small amounts of power and to amplify that, as well as the fact that as Jedi would attune themselves to the crystal, they could even increase the benefit from that energy amplification even more, even to the point where certain Jedi would take their crystals and facet them, uh, which uh, some Jedi believed even increased their power further. The other thing to note from the kyber crystals is that they exhibited what would almost be considered to be a collective consciousness. They were nearly sentient, and that allowed them to communicate through the Force with each other, uh, as well as other living beings, and that was essentially how they would call the Jedi who were attuned to them and lead them to that crystal that was specifically intended for them. One of the few things that actually could impact a kyber crystal was that if you were to incorrectly pump any kind of laser energy into it, uh, it would cause the lattice of that kyber crystal, that's its makeup essentially, to degrade 
And ultimately, that would lead to a, lo- a lack of effectiveness in the Kyber Crystal and could potentially even lead to it being destroyed if that continued long enough. The Kyber Crystals, as I mentioned earlier, were harvested by the Jedi. They were very rare, and they were only found in a limited number of places throughout the galaxy. But the most commonly harvested spot for the Jedi was the Crystal Caves on the planet of Ilum, which you may remember from our prior episode when we were kind of covering the galactic layout and and where certain planets were located within the galaxy. So as the Jedi would go into those Crystal Caves, and actually this was at the time that they were making that transition from Jedi younglings uh, into kind of their Padawan stage, uh, they would go on a pilgrimage to Ilum, typically with a Jedi Master or a Jedi Knight, and they would go into the Crystal Caves and search for the crystal that was specifically attuned to them, and the crystals would would really call out to them. Uh, they would hear its music and be able to sense it in the Force, and then once the Jedi uh, actually found the crystal that was meant for them, it would be warm to their touch. So if a Jedi who was not attuned to that crystal were to pick it up, it would feel cold in their hand, but the Jedi for whom it was intended uh, would actually feel that uh, crystal warm in their hand. Additionally, the crystals were inherently attuned to the light side of the Force. So the Jedi, when they would initially find their crystal, it would be colorless, but once it was claimed by them, it would take on its uh, innate color, which for most Jedi was a blue or a green. Um, but we did see throughout the course of the various films that we had Jedi with other color lightsabers. And if you go into the extended or expanded universe, specifically into shows like uh, The Clone Wars or Star Wars Rebels, you'll start to see that there are a number of other colors that can uh, appear. So the first and and probably most obvious for most people who are familiar with the films would be Mace Windu and his purple-bladed lightsaber. This is not so much something you would have seen within the movies, but the Temple Guardians within the Jedi Temple would carry uh, lightsabers that had yellow blades. Additionally, there was a very, very rare and special lightsaber called the Darksaber. And this particular lightsaber was crafted by the very first Mandalorian to ever be inducted into the Jedi Order. His name was Tar Vizsla. And this lightsaber is much more angular. It's got a bit of a shorter hilt than most Jedi lightsabers. It's got an angled crossguard to it. And instead of having an opening or a hole in a circular pattern like most lightsabers had, this one had a slit. So when that particular lightsaber was activated, it would produce a black blade that looked very much like a normal sword blade and that it was narrow and came to a point. Uh, and then that black blade had kind of a white electrical border to it. That lightsaber was uh, was very rare, and it's the only known lightsaber to, to ever have a black blade. In addition, the most notable color that most people would think of is obviously the red blades of the Sith lightsabers. And that was actually a special case because there was no such thing as a lightsaber crystal or a kyber crystal uh, that would ever take on a red hue on its own. The Sith would actually claim the crystals from the hilt of a Jedi's lightsaber, uh, usually one that they had defeated in battle, and then they would uh, perform a process called bleeding on those lightsaber crystals. And what bleeding was is they would actually take that lightsaber crystal and pour all of their rage and hate and pain into it and subvert that crystal to their will. 
So it was uh, basically the use of force against that crystal by the Sith that would cause it to take on that crimson hue and produce the red blade. Um, the most notable story to to bring up here, and this is going to be a spoiler for anyone who's into reading the Star Wars comics, uh, specifically Darth Vader issue three. So if you are or were considering reading that comic book, you may want to hop ahead a couple of minutes. But this deals with the specifics of the first battle that Darth Vader fought against the Jedi post uh, Revenge of the Sith. So uh, at the end of that film, uh, as he was lying there on the, the rocky shore in Mustafar after Obi-Wan had cut off his two remaining legs and his remaining uh, human arm, Obi-Wan obviously left the planet with Anakin's lightsaber. And Darth Vader, uh, after being taken back to Coruscant and uh, put into his armor, uh, was left in a situation where he did not have a lightsaber and needed to create one. So uh, Darth Sidious had uh, tasked him with tracking down a missing uh, Jedi master by the name of Kirek Infila. And this particular Jedi was not part of the Jedi that were impacted by Order 66, where uh, Sidious had the clone troopers kill all the Jedi. He was actually in the midst of a vow of isolation he'd taken from the Jedi Order years earlier, uh, which both kept him from interfering in Order 66, but it also allowed him to escape being killed during it. Um, so it wasn't until sometime later that the Sith became aware of his presence. So Darth Vader had tracked Master Infila down to his planet and a fight ensued between the two of them with Master Infila using his green bladed lightsaber and Darth Vader using an energy weapon, uh, which was most likely an electrosword. And ultimately, Vader was able to defeat Master Infila and claim his lightsaber and take that green kyber crystal from it. He then took and returned to his base on Mustafar and blood the crystal until it turned red, and that is ultimately what went into his particular lightsaber. So a little bit of backstory there on a famous Sith that we're all familiar with, and how he went about obtaining his red crystal. Additionally, there are some stories that deal with taking of Sith crystals that have been bled, and then cleansing those so that they can still be used again by a light side force wielder. So this information is going to touch on uh, Ahsoka Tano and also on some information from the book Ahsoka, uh, as well as a little bit of information on the Clone Wars. So again, if you don't want any of that information to be spoiled, I would suggest you maybe hop ahead a couple of minutes. But for the purposes of an example of cleansing, Ahsoka Tano, who was uh, Anakin Skywalker's apprentice throughout the Clone Wars and who had actually left the Order, uh, the Jedi Order, prior to Order 66, ended up surviving, but one of the ways that she avoided Order 66 was that she had left her lightsabers behind um, on the grave of Captain Rex, and so she was traveling throughout the galaxy without any lightsabers of her own, trying to escape um, Vader and being hunted down by the Inquisitors that the Emperor had sent after any remaining Jedi. So eventually a time came where Ahsoka needed to create new lightsabers, and in the process of that, she was looking for crystals to power her weapons. She had gone back to the planet of Ilum looking for them there, but the Empire had already started basically mining kyber crystals from there, just as they were doing on Jeddah in Rogue One. And it was impossible for her to gather any crystals from Ilum based on that. 
so she kind of cast her senses far and wide, slipped into a Jedi meditation uh, in hopes of picking up the song of the crystals that were specifically attuned to her to see if they were down on the planet's surface. And in fact, when she sensed them, they were back on a planet that she had just come from. She returned there and ended up having to fight one of the Inquisitors that uh, the Emperor had sent after her and was able to defeat him even without a weapon of her own. And after his lightsaber was destroyed, she was able to gather those blood crystals from his lightsaber hilt and cleanse them uh, and basically remove the taint of the dark side from those crystals and when she installed those in her new lightsaber blades, uh, they produced a completely white blade. And the crystals themselves had gone back to clear. So that is an example of how those blood crystals could be cleansed by the Jedi or any light side force wielder uh, in order to bring them back into harmony with that particular force user. Now we want to take a quick look at the different types of lightsaber that existed within the Star Wars universe. Most people are going to be familiar with the standard lightsaber, which is just the hilt with the single blade. Uh, this is the type of lightsaber you see far, far more commonly within the Star Wars universe. Um, you know, this is Luke. This is Mace Windu. This is uh, many, many of the Jedi. Also, they had what was called a Shoto lightsaber. Now, the Shoto lightsaber is going to have a smaller hilt and a shorter blade. Um, this would typically be used as an offhand weapon for Jedi who are dual-wielding lightsabers. Uh, and it was also the type of lightsaber that Master Yoda was carrying because of his much smaller stature. It gave him a weapon that was much more manageable for his size. Now, beyond that, uh, I'm sure we're all thinking of Darth Maul and his double-bladed lightsaber, otherwise known as the Saber Staff. That was a type of weapon that was not exclusive to Darth Maul. There were uh, there were definitely Jedi who were using a saber staff or another version of that called a uh, lightsaber pike, which was what the Jedi Temple Guards most often used. Uh, the difference between the lightsaber pike and that double-bladed lightsaber was that the lightsaber pike had a much longer hilt, and the two blades that it produced were shorter lightsaber blades. But this uh, was, again, a weapon that was fairly exclusive to the Jedi Temple Guards. There were, within Star Wars Legends, also um, scenarios where there were Jedi Grand Masters and other Jedi who had used double-bladed lightsabers or saber staffs. Another uh, specific type of lightsaber that is going to be somewhat familiar to Star Wars fans, um, I shouldn't say it's, it's terribly familiar because it really wasn't something that was ever made a point to show within the Star Wars films. But Darth Vader himself uh, used what was called a dual-phase lightsaber. And that type of lightsaber was unique in that it would actually have two kyber crystals within it. And it included uh, that blade length adjuster that I mentioned earlier as one of the possible components of a lightsaber. And that blade length adjuster would allow him to shorten or lengthen the length of his lightsaber blade. It could even be done in combat, theoretically. But that would be something that would be useful for scenarios where you actually needed a longer reach or maybe you needed a little bit of a shorter blade uh, to work in tighter quarters. Again, it would have been pretty cool to actually see them make use of that within any of the films. Um, but that is a notable exception for Darth Vader's lightsaber in the, in the sense that it did have the adjustable blade length. 
There really are two more primary types of lightsaber. I know that there are some kind of one-off scenarios for for those of you who are really uh, deep into the weeds, Star Wars nerds out there. Uh, But the two more common that most people are going to be familiar with would be the crossguard lightsaber, which is essentially the lightsaber that Kylo Ren used in The Last Jedi and The Force Awakens. And that particular lightsaber, kind of one thing of note about that, in particular with Kylo Ren's lightsaber, is that the sputtering blade and the kind of out-of-phase blade that you see on his lightsaber was the result of a cracked kyber crystal. It's not really explained what it was that cracked that particular crystal, uh, but he actually had to have two vents installed on the side of his lightsaber hilt to kind of uh, bleed off some of that excess energy and keep the blade itself somewhat in tune. And then the final type of lightsaber that, to me, it's not really even a different type of lightsaber, uh, but it's classified as such, would be the curved hilt lightsaber. Uh, so this is going to be the lightsaber that you see being used by Count Dooku or um, Darth Tyrannus, if you prefer, as well as his apprentice, Asajj Ventress, uh, for those of you who have watched The Clone Wars. And really the intent of that was just to better fit the wielder's hand and allow them to uh, manipulate the lightsaber a little bit easier. So that'll pretty much do it for the various types of lightsaber you may come across in the Star Wars universe. There are, as I said, a couple of uh, minor exceptions to that, but they're fairly unique and and really not worth going into uh, detail on within this particular conversation. But they may be something that we touch on in future episodes if we're talking about a topic where they directly are impacted. So now that we know a little bit more about lightsabers, uh, what they are, what types of configurations they come in, the the primary thing that a lot of people are curious about is how do you stop a lightsaber? Obviously, the the easiest and the and the shortest answer to that is uh, blocking a lightsaber is most easily done with another lightsaber or any energy based melee weapon. Uh, so the ones that would be more commonly seen within the Star Wars films would be the electrostaff that was used by General Grievous's droid guardians. And the Z6 riot control baton uh, that you would have seen the stormtroopers using within The Force Awakens, both of those were energy-based and could be used to block lightsaber attacks. However, there are some additional materials within the Star Wars universe that also have the ability to block a lightsaber attack. And for most of these... um, they're going to just be able to block a slashing lightsaber attack that doesn't really make solid contact with the opponent. And those materials would be first the Zillow Beast Hide, which is an extremely rare creature within the Star Wars universe. This is not something that was ever seen in any of the films, uh, nor is it something that most people would be terribly familiar with. But in terms of the more commonly known materials that could block a lightsaber attack, Uh, The first was Mandalorian iron. So when you think of Boba Fett and the Mandalorian armor that he was known to wear, as well as obviously the Mandalorians themselves, uh, any of the Mandalorian armor that's made with Mandalorian iron has the ability to withstand uh, glancing or slashing blows from a lightsaber blade. And probably the most commonly known or the most, uh, the one that most Star Wars fans are going to be familiar with is the armor of the elite Praetorian Guard, which would be the Crimson Warriors who protected Snoke in The Last Jedi. 
their armor, again, was able to block slashing lightsaber attacks, and their gauntlets would even have the ability to directly block uh, a slashing attack from a lightsaber. But uh, piercing or stabbing attacks would pierce that armor, so they were not impervious to it. But that armor definitely provided a lot of protection against any lightsaber-wielding Jedi or Force-sensitive. Now, the final material that would provide the best defense against a lightsaber attack is called cortosis fiber. And this is, um, again, a very rare material Uh, But this fiber could be woven into a protective matrix and uh, built into armor. And the really interesting thing about cortosis fiber is that if a lightsaber makes contact with any armor that has this woven into it, it would effectively uh, feed the energy back into the lightsaber and it would force it to shut off. So this was uh, something that was experimented with right at the end of the Clone Wars. And uh, there are some stories uh, regarding both Anakin Skywalker and Thrawn, who we mentioned in our last episode prior to his joining the Empire, where they had a mission on the planet Batuu, and that led to them discovering uh, a plot by the Separatists to build this cortosis fiber into their droid armor Uh, which would have essentially created a scenario where the Jedi would have been hard-pressed to defeat the droid armies that they were facing. So that'll pretty much do it for our topic of lightsabers for this week. Uh, Hopefully there's some information in there that maybe you didn't know or you found interesting, and we're going to be doing a lot more of this type of topic in the future. Uh, We're going to turn our attention real quick to the Holonet news for the week. And in all honesty, this week has been pretty quiet in terms of Star Wars-related news. Uh, I've really only got a couple of items for you this week. The first of which is that on StarWars.com, they have announced that there's going to be a new audio-only book titled Dooku Jedi Lost. And this is going to be interesting because it's really one of the very few things that have come out that's going to lay in some backstory related to the title character. Um, And it's going to be told through the eyes of his apprentice. Uh, Again, her name was Asajj Ventress. As she is early in her training and she's kind of trying to discover some of Dooku's secrets uh, to use for her own uh, advantage. That title is going to be available on April 30th, 2019. And we will definitely put out some more information as it comes out regarding that book. Also, uh, in regards to Star Wars Celebration Chicago, and again, I think that uh, a lot of the the lack of news regarding Star Wars right now is just kind of the calm before the storm leading up to Star Wars Celebration. Uh, But it was announced uh, just in the last couple of days that Anthony Daniels, who is the actor behind C-3PO, is going to be joining as a guest, and he will be at this upcoming Star Wars Celebration. So for those of you who are going, um, definitely take advantage of that. Get out there and check him out. Uh, It's a chance to see a bit of Star Wars history. So that is going to wrap it up for us for this week. Uh, Again, for those of you who joined us, thank you so much. Um, If you have any advice on uh, other podcasting platforms that you think we should put the show out on, please drop us a line. Uh, We can be reached at jtapodcast at gmail.com and also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest at jtapodcast. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to get feedback on what you like and don't like about the show so we can improve it for the future. We'd love to chat with you guys about Star Wars or any other topic related to the Star Wars universe that you would like to talk about. So 
please don't hesitate. Uh, reach out, say hello, and uh, we would be happy to, to give you a shout out on the next episode. Thank you guys again, and may the force be with you. Thank you.